your Bible is Ephesians chapter 6. And if you don't have your Bible, it's going to be here for you. So, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you be able to withstand in evil day, and having done all, to stand. We are at verse 14 from last week. So I'm going to start right there. Stand therefore, having your loins girt up about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. This, at the beginning of this scripture where it says stand, it is the same exact word that he, he says in the, in the, the previous uh, scripture. It says, having done all to stand. And then he says, stand therefore. And that means to establish, to be steadfast, standing firm. Put on the belt of truth. The, this word has the idea of, of reality, sincerity, divine truth revealed to man. The way of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. White lies have no place in the Christian walk. The commandment, thou shalt not lie, started from the very beginning. It was so important to God that He made a commandment out of it. Truth is what we need to gird ourselves up with. We need to put, put on that belt of truth. Isaiah 11.5 says, Righteousness will be His belt, and faithfulness the sash around His waist. The belt of truth holds our spiritual pants up so that we're not exposed and vulnerable to the world. Satan is the father of lies. We combat, we combat the enemy who is a liar with truth. Deception is the oldest tactic. It is only overcome by truth. It's like a utility belt, like a policeman or a fireman they wear that holds all their, their equipment. And in, the, old, in, the, in the, the New Testament times, in the Roman times, that belt actually was attached to the breastplate. It, had, it, had, uh, it not only kept everything in, in, in place, but it wouldn't let things shift around. And that's what truth does for us, is it doesn't let things move around on us. Truth will keep us steadfast where we need to be. Where he says at the beginning there, stand, be steadfast. It only comes about because we have the belt of truth around us. If you're not walking in truth, you're walking in deception. The, the, the last part of that says, having the breastplate of righteousness. The word in the Greek there is, has to do with this. Approved by God. A verdict of approval by God. That's what we want in our lives. We want that verdict put on us. The verdict of approval. And the only way that happens is when we put on that breastplate of righteousness. When we put on that breastplate, in the Roman times it was made of brass, excuse me, bronze. And it would protect all those vital organs. The heart. And in the Old Testament, remember how important the heart was. The Bible says that the heart is the center of our being. That, those, that, that vital part of us has to be protected. All those vital organs. In the spiritual realm, it's the same. The only way that we can walk in the, the place that we need to be with God is when we have that breastplate of righteousness, 
When we're walking in righteousness, when we're walking in the approval of God, when we're walking in the righteousness of God, if you're walking in anything else, you're not, you're not safe. You're not protected. It's like a policeman who wears a bulletproof vest. You know, we put that on because we don't know when the enemy's going to come in and attack. And if we don't have that breastplate of righteousness, if we're not walking in righteousness, we will not be able to stand what the enemy puts up against us. Righteousness is twofold. It is imputed and it is imparted. Something we, Imputed means this, something we've been freely given by God with, without charge or effort. That's the righteousness that God has given us. He gives it to us freely. When we come to Him and we ask for forgiveness and we, we accept His salvation, it is imparted upon us. It is imputed upon us. We live in righteousness. That's the only way we can, we can stand before God. God is asking and demanding righteousness of us. The second way, this, it's twofold. The second part is imparted. It's something that Christ works within us and with our cooperation, He gives us the inner strength to live righteous. Okay, so the first part is He gives it to us free of charge. It's, it's, he just blankets it up on us when we come into salvation. The second part is, is He imparts it on us because He says, Now, I give you my righteousness. Now, with this righteousness, with this strength, with this inner power, now you can walk in righteousness. You don't have to, you don't have to say, uh, you can say no to the enemy. You can say no to the devil. You can say no to this world. In God's, God's armor is constructed specifically for us. He does not put it on for us. Greg and I were talking right before we started tonight. You know, we have, to, we have, we have a part of this. You know, he said, you know, God is calling us to enter into His gates. He can't do that for us. He opens the gate up and He says, Come on in. Join me. Come with me. Worship with me. Do all these things. But the only way that we can do it is when we step out. We have to enter in. And just like this, God's armor is there and available for us. But if we don't put it on, it will do us no good. We have to put it on. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Yay! We love that. We, in fact, we hear sermons on that. Yay! But the second part of that verse says, But <laughs> to those who walk according to the flesh, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Sometimes they stop right there. I've even heard pastors preach that. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. We all go, yes! That's what we want! But he, the second part of that verse says, but it's only when we don't walk according to the flesh and we walk according to the Spirit. That's when there's no condemnation. When we're walking according to the Spirit and not walking according to the flesh. If we're walking according to the flesh, there is condemnation. And you will feel it. And it's guilt and it doesn't feel good. It's miserable. But you know what? When we walk in the righteousness of God, that righteousness that He places upon us, and then that, that inner strength that He gives us, that righteousness that says, now, walk in this. You have the strength to do this. I've given you all the equipment that you need to do it. We are not saved by grace. I mean, we are, we are saved by grace, not works, the Bible says. But then again, the, the last part of verse 4 says, that righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled, fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, 
but according to the Spirit. You know, it's easy for us to... We accept the first part. We love the first part. The first part gives us all we need. Give me grace. I love it. But then he says, listen, that grace will only work when you walk in righteousness. And that breastplate of righteousness is the only thing that will protect those vital organs, all those spiritual vital organs within us. That breastplate of righteousness has to be put on, just like a bulletproof vest. In the Old Testament... I mean, let me go to, actually in Proverbs it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. The enemy wants to condemn us. He wants to, he wants to uh, attack that pure heart. He wants to attack that pliable heart. He wants to make it hard. He wants to get us to the place where we, you know what, where we don't want to uh, stretch out for God. We don't want to go into His presence. We don't want to be in that place because you know what, the enemy wants to harden up that heart so that we can't receive from God. But when we walk in righteousness, when we have the righteousness of God on us, then we are able to accept that. And you know what? It protects all around us. 1 John 3.21 says, Beloved, if our hearts do, do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This is righteousness from God, not works, not good works, not self-righteousness. Self-righteousness will not protect you. You can do all these do's and don'ts and that'll, and that'll make us feel good in and in of ourselves. But you know what? That righteousness will not protect us. It does not protect our heart. Righteousness is something we are, not something we do. Righteousness within us affects what we do, but what we do does not make us righteous. Did you get that? I'm going to read it one more time. Righteousness is something we are, not something we do. Righteousness within us affects what we do. But what we do does not make us righteous. Can you grasp that? I know there's a lot there, but what he's saying is this. You know what? By how you're acting doesn't make you righteous. It's within you. That's why that righteousness protects that heart because it's what's in here. That's where the righteousness dwells. That's what He wants us to do. He wants, to walk, he wants us walking in that righteousness. Proverbs 24.16 says, A righteous man falls seven times but will rise again, but the wicked stumble in the time of calamity. So when we walk in righteousness... Now, I, I've seen men of the, of the Old Testament that the Bible credited them as righteous. Noah, Job, um, Daniel. Noah, we know that Noah sinned. He got, he got drunk on an occasion. And he was foolish before his family. But you know what? His heart was towards righteousness. That's what God wants of us. He knows we're going to fall. We may fall seven times. That's what He says. The righteous man may fall seven times. But he will rise again. And he'll keep his eyes focused on the prize. What is it that we're, we're looking to? What is it that God wants from us? What is it God that's requiring of us? A full body, excuse me, then let's go, to, let's go to the next verse. Having your feet and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Having your feet shod. This kind of reminds me of a horse situation. In fact, the actual Greek word literally means to bind under. Literally meaning like, like a horse having that metal uh, 
plate put on the bottom of their feet. That's what God wants us. That's what He's saying here. He's saying, have your feet shod. Have, have the readiness of the Gospel applied to your feet so that you'll be able to walk over that rocky ground and it won't hurt. You know, if you're, on, if you're up in these mountains and you've got your bare feet, I'll guarantee you, you're not going to last very long. Your feet are going to get... I have very tender feet. And if I even walk over some little gravel, I'll cry. I mean, that's... <laughs> I need them shod. <laughs> Feet shod with the preparation. This word preparation means a foundation, a firm footing, readiness. So having your feet shod with a foundation, a firm footing, so that the gospel, and the word gospel here is, the root word comes from the word we get evangelize. So that gospel of peace and the word peace there is this. It has two words that come together. To join and to be whole. Literally, making all essential parts come together. Making us whole before Him. So, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of wholeness. That's what He's saying to us. Uh, uh, completeness. That we can walk in that. And then when we do that, when we the all you'll see that each one of these things that we put on, every one of these pieces of armor have a, a particular meaning and they have a particular reason for them. So that we can stand before God. The next verse, above all, take the shield of faith, wherewithin you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, this word shield, I thought it was very interesting. It's through thorough. Through rails. It was an oblong Roman shield. It looked like the size of a full door. Large enough to pro- provide full protection. A full body shield. We're not talking... I mean, you know, sometimes when we see the, 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 the animations of this, we see a small little round shield. This shield was huge. This shield would cover you completely. And that shield... Of faith. Faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's the same word here. That's word, that same word, faith. Faith is God's divine persuasion. God's divine persuasion is what protects us, is what goes in front of us. And you know what? This, this shield was not... You know, sometimes we think of that shield as, as just a defensive mechanism. But it was actually offensive. Because you know when they go... Like a SWAT team goes into a room. They have that shield in front of them. And that's what God is calling us to say. Listen, take that shield. And you're able to press into the next place that you need to go. Don't be shrinking back. These aren't just defensive weapons so we can protect ourselves. This shield was there so that you could go into the next level. A full body shield. That you may be able, or you shall be able, where then you shall be able. This word, it's used a couple times in this scripture, and it has to do with this shall being able. I am powerful, empowered to show ability. He uses it over and over again. I use it in those in the first couple of verses of this that we will be will be powerful to quench, to suppress, to thwart, to extinguish the darts. And this isn't just a little dart. The actual Greek word here is missile or javelin. So imagine a fiery missile coming at you. A fiery javelin coming at you. But you know what? As that javelin's coming at you, that big body shield, that big shield of faith, 
that persuasion of God, divine, God's divine persuasion for us, is able to quench those, those, those javelins as they come. You know what? You keep pushing them down and you keep pressing in where God wants you to go. We are not defensive people. We are offensive people. God is, we, we don't act like that. Our churches don't act like that. We act like defensive people. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen to me next? But the Lord says, what are you going to do next? That's what He's calling us for. He's saying, what are you going to do next? Where are you going to go next? What is it that, you, that God's calling you to do? Where do you need to step into that? And the last word there, to be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Some, some translations say, use the word devil, but I will, it's, it has more than that. It means evil, bad, wicked, pain-ridden, a misery that goes along with evil. That's what you're extinguishing with your shield of faith. Pain-ridden evil. Not just the devil. Because all of his cohorts are out there. They're also trying to attack us. The world in itself is attacking us. But the Bible says that, you know what? The only way you're going to be able to press into the place where you need to go with God is to take that shield of faith and press in. The next verse, verse 17. And take... Let me, let me go back. I want to, I want to read this, this verse back to you with all the things that I just said to you in the Greek. Uh, this is what he's saying there. Take a full body shield made up of God's persuasion with divine ability to suppress, thwart, extinguish a flaming min- missile launched by pain-ridden evil. That's what He's saying to us there. I want to read that again. Take your full body shield made up of God's divine persuasion with divine ability. Because remember that word, He says, shall be able. That means powerful, empowered, to show ability. So He says this, that take that, that shield made up of God's divine persuasion with divine ability to suppress, thwart, extinguish a flaming missile launched by pain-ridden evil. That's what we're coming up against. I know some of us feel like that every day. We're like, you don't understand what I've gone through this week. Craig told me that before he got here today, his heart stopped beating today and he stopped breathing on his way to the hospital. The enemy would like to do everything he can to destroy. He is looking... The Bible says to kill, steal, and destroy. He runs around like a roaring lion, trying to put fear in us. Those voices you've heard all week long, trying to tell you to doubt, or that, you know what, just, just go this direction, it's a lot easier. Or go over, to the, go over to the rodeo and have yourself a good drink. You know, all those voices, that's the enemy. He's roaring in your ears saying, just, you know what, all that stuff you're hearing isn't true. But take up that shield of faith. I want you to take up that shield of faith. I want you to put on that armor of righteousness. And then take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. And I don't have it up there for you. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. 
The helmet of salvation, it protects your mind from vain philosophy. God's salvation becomes our, our mind's primary thought. And this word, this word sword, it's not the, the sword that you would think of when we see all these, even that little thing, animated thing I showed you at the beginning, the big old sword that comes out. The actual word, it has to do, it's, it's a slaughter knife. It is a short dagger used for stabbing. So it's, it's something that, that we can hold in close by us. And that sword is used by, the Bible says, by the sword of the Spirit. Where the Spirit breathes life into it. The breath of God comes in. That, the word pneuma. That's the word Greek for, for spirit. And He breathes life into us. And, and, and then the sword of the Spirit, which is the word, which is the rhema here, the rhema, spoken word, a, a thing spoken, His inwrought, inwrought persuasion. That's what that word means. Hebrews, I'm going to close with this and I'm going to, so we can move on, but I want you to see this. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. For the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, is alive and active. If all you do is keep it in your sheath, all week long you go to Bible studies and you go all these places and you hear about, you just keep hearing the Word of God, but you don't bring it out and it just sits in your sheath all the time, you know what? It doesn't do us any good. But the sword of the Spirit here, the Bible says in Hebrews, it should be active and alive. So if our Bible study isn't bringing us alive or bringing us to action, then you know what? We're walking around with the sword just tucked in our, in our, in our, in our, in our belt. Walking around. I'm ready though if something happens. No. He says bring out that sword. He wants us advancing. He wants us moving into the enemy's territory. It's active. It's alive. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing. And this word dividing in the Greek is merismos. And it means this. God's Word is so sharp that it can cut and it knows the difference between where the spirit and the soul lie together. They're so close. I mean, when you talk about spirit and soul, it's not something that our minds can even comprehend. But I will tell you this. The Spirit of God, the, the, the Word of God, is sharper and is sharp enough to even divide those two lines. It knows where the spirit and the soul end and where the spirit begins. Joints and marrow. He even takes it to the physical realm, not just to the spiritual. He says, this Word of God is able to penetrate the spiritual realm and it can penetrate the physical realm. That's what we're doing when we get together and we praise and when we worship and we, we ignite the fire in this place. When we say, God, we want to see your hand. When we want to see you move, we want to see your presence manifested here with us. We want to see the power of God moving in our midst. When we're doing that, when we say, I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in, in, in my heart. You know what? We have to enter those gates. There's a part of us, we have to, we have to step out there. 
You know, Ken Yancey, who was here last week and lives up in Camp Nelson, he told me, he says, you know what, Greg? One of the most biggest breakthroughs I've had recently is when I just turn on my music, worship music, and I just dance before the Lord, just in my own house. There is freedom in it. There is revival in it. I want revival to start right here. I want revival to start in every one of you. You know what? Revival can start at your house. Revival can start at your workplace. Revival can start wherever you're at. When you say, God, I want to be revived. I want to be alive. I don't want to keep that sword of the Spirit right in here. You know what? We can have all this Bible knowledge. But if we don't know how to exact that knife and get it out, it does us no good. It does us no good. We can study and study and study and study. But you know what? If we don't get out and we don't advance the kingdom of God, if we don't make advancements into the enemy's territory, we will never see the kingdom of God come like the Bible says it's coming. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what He's calling us to. This, this Scripture is telling us that Word of God is alive. Do I have time to finish? Yes. All right. I'm going to finish one. (laughs) The last verse. Pray always. Pray always. With all prayer. Man, Paul does this over and over again to us here. Remember how I said last week, he repeats himself, he goes in a verse and then he says, it, he says, do it again. Put on the full armor. Hey, put on that full armor. I'm not telling you to sit back and relax about this. Put it on. He's saying here, pray. No, don't just pray. Pray. Are you hearing me? That's what he's saying to us. Pray. Pray. Praying. Make a place of prayer. Praying always. That word has to do with making a place of prayer. Not in a synagogue. Not in a church. But wherever you're at. Praying always. Some translations say on all occasions. The the word there has to do... It says pray on every opportunity. Pray on every fitting season. Pray at the right moment. Pray on all occasions. And then prayer with all prayer and supplication. And that word prayer there means to to interact with God and exchange human ideas for God's ideas. So, praying always with an exchange of what your ideas are for God's. That's the kind of prayer he's talking about. Not the kind of prayer that we say, Oh God, you don't understand what i got down here. People are after me, my wife, and we're not getting along. We've got all these problems. He says, no, I want you to exchange your mind for my mind. When you pray, I want you to begin to pray what I want you to pray. I want you to begin to pray what is on my heart. I want you to begin to pray what's, what's important to me. And when we do that, we can get a hold of God. When we, get to, when we get to begin to pray what God is telling us to pray, I will tell you what, the atmosphere changes. With all prayer and supplication. This word, and, and I've been corrected, I've been, had some people tell me, they got onto me last week because I'm messing up the Greek words, but that's okay. Supplication. Deasis. Alright? To be in want. To feel an urgent need, a heartfelt petition. 
He's saying, with all prayer, with getting rid of your ideas and accepting my, exchanging them for my ideas, and with urgency, with a, a need for urgency, a heartfelt petition, he says, I want you then to be watchful. Watching there too. And that word watchful means this. I'm not asleep. I'm staying vigilant. I'm alert. And I love this part. Watchful is this. Without any necessary, unnecessary time off. Woo! That one hurts. With being watchful. Being so watchful that you that only the only time that you're not watchful is for those, those necessary things that you have to do. Now, am I saying you don't go on vacation? No, you go on vacation. You enjoy yourself, okay? Am I saying that we can't have a good time and we can't enjoy ourselves? No. But what I'm saying is, is that when we come before God, we're vigilant. We're watchful. We're not asleep. We're alive. We're awake. We're saying, God, what is what, what's going on? In the spiritual realm, I want to be aware of what's happening. I'm not over here sleeping in the corner. Always, this is what I, and I, again, I like to make these little, these trans, translations for you. So this is mine, okay? Always making a place of prayer, exchanging our wishes for God's wishes with an urgent need in the Spirit without any unnecessary time off, making your urgent petitions for the saints. Enlistment into God's army is voluntary. There is no force or compulsion. 2 Timothy 2.4 says, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather is trying to please his commanding officer. This is a full-time arrangement. We separated ourselves from our former life, our former clubs, our associates. Everything that may hinder us, and may hinder the service of God, must be forsaken. Ray Stedman says this, no, one, no Christian has the right to a private life. Our lives are to be lived openly before men, transparent, a spectacle unto all the world. We have no private lives. We must not expect to have. This is basically and fundamentally wrong. Christians are to demonstrate, to be demonstrations of the truth. We live it out before men. What I'm saying is, guys... And, and I, I talked to Greg this week, and he, he called me, and he says, I, I feel it, Greg. I feel it. In the Spirit, I feel it. I know what you're talking about. I feel that urgency. I want you all to feel that urgency. I want, us to, I want, I want you to, to feel that, that the weight of what's going on. I want you to exchange your ideas for His ideas. What's on His heart? Tonight, as you come in here, I know you may have all kinds of problems facing you. God says this, exchange what's your, on your, your mind for what's on my mind. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Take the sword of the Spirit. Take the shield of faith. Make inroads into the enemy's camp. We are not meant to be just defensive. God's calling us to be offensive. To take the offensive to, you know, like when, when a football game is going on. They're trying to take this ball to that, to that goal line. God is saying, listen, I want you to pick up the ball that I have given you. And I want you to charge the enemy's territory. I don't want you to sit back anymore. I don't want you just to be a defensive mechanism. I don't want you to be afraid of what's going on around you. I want you to make inroads into the enemy's territory. And tonight... 
We're going to play the song that I played last week. As we do that, I want us to make inroads into the enemy's territory tonight. I don't know how that... I don't know how it happens in the spiritual realm. I've told you. You know what? All I know is when we praise, when we worship, when we get when we get before God and we shout or we uh, praise, when we worship, when we lift Him up, He destroys the enemy. Let God arise and your enemies be scattered. God is calling us. You know, and the reason I said last week, I said, it, it's desperate. is because, you know what, right now in Springville, Right now in Porterville, right now in Camp Nelson, right now in Lake Isabella, there are people that need the power of God in their life for change. They need the presence of God in their life to see change happen. That's why I seek the power of God. That's why I want to see the power of God. I want to see God's power change and radically change this town. I want to see God come into Springville and radically change it. How does that happen? As we begin to praise. As we put on the armor of God. As we walk in His righteousness. Now, I'm going to say one thing. Now, I, want to let everybody, I don't want anybody to get scared of this. We, what, we, we blew it last week. And I want everybody to understand. The shofar... The shofar was used in Old Testament times as a blast, as a sound that would be propelled towards the enemy. And the shofar was blown before they went into battle because the Israelites knew that it wasn't done with what in, in, in their hands. It wasn't what was within their hands that was going to bring deliverance. It wasn't what was in their hands that was going to uh, rout the enemy. It was God. So why did they shout? Why did they, why did they blow the shofar? Because you know what? They wanted the enemy to know, our God is able. I walk in power and victory. I don't just muddle through this life. I am a conqueror. I am a conqueror. Do you understand that? You are a conqueror. You were created to conquer. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Let's all stand.